This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Though stock market volatility continues to rattle investors' nerves, the future looks bright for equities in the U.S. and many emerging markets, according to Wharton finance professor Jeremy Siegel. In an interview with Knowledge at Wharton, Siegel says that investors should think about reducing their bond holdings, buying more stocks, and keeping just enough cash for a rainy day and other liquidity needs. He also discusses the housing market and offers his take on where the stock market is headed for the rest of 2013. Hello, I'm Jeff Brown for Knowledge at Wharton. Today we're with Wharton finance professor Jeremy Siegel, one of our frequent guests, and thank you for visiting us again. Happy to be here. There's been a lot of volatility in the, in the stock market uh, in the last few days, and I just wonder if you could give us a quick assessment of what's going on. Well, you know, there, that seems to be uh, the description of the market over the last five years, <laughs> periods of volatility. I mean, we have the uncertainty with the sequester. We have the developments in Italy, uh, which are more, really more uh, surprising and uh, shocking to the market. Uh, and that's, that's thrown a little scare in it. Um, I, I still think, uh, as we'll talk about, that the fundamentals are very strong and they're going to overcome these negative uh, risks uh, that we, we see onto the market. Uh, let's talk about the sequester. It's coming up very soon, a couple of days. Uh, does that really matter? Uh, is it as important uh, to the real economy as people say it is? And how would that be reflected well, in the stock market? Right. There, there's a lot of, you know, scare stories about, you know, what's going to happen. And it, it's hard for me to get the, the amount of actual dollars, which uh, the experts say is probably going to be $50 billion this year to get all that disruption. Um, uh and and it's a tiny tiny fraction really of of uh, of of GDP. Most of the forecasters that I've seen uh, say if the full sequester this year takes effect, that we'll see probably a quarter or a half a point off of GDP. Now, although that's not insignificant, um, we have momentum going in our economy, and particularly with the housing market, which I think is the key to the recovery, that I think could uh, more than overcome that deficit from the sequester. And then uh, Europe and the problems in Italy uh, and, the, and the broader problems we've been seeing for some time in Europe, how much are those affecting us? Well, I've, I've been on record to say that the euro is, is way too high. When we got up to 137, it was sort of crazy. It's, it's down now to 130. But I think that Draghi is going to have to both uh, talk down the euro and lower those interest rates because I think, yeah, I mean, Europe is, is, in, is in trouble. Uh, it's going to be slow growth for a long time. So we're going to see more stimulus uh, from the European Central Bank here. Um, Draghi has pledged, and I believe him, and he can, to prevent any general banking crisis. He's going to step in and provide that liquidity. So that big fear that uh, really dominated the market last year and, and even the year before, first with Greece and then with Spain, uh, is mostly gone. So we deal with very, very slow growth. That's mostly been factored into the market, um, I think stimulus by the ECB in terms of a lower euro and lower rates will, will help that situation somewhat uh, so it won't be a drag on U.S. markets. Now, with U.S. markets, uh, I read the other day that although 
the big indexes, the S&P and the Dow, are getting back close to their highs of about a decade ago, the, some of the fundamentals are looking pretty good, better than they did back then, like the price-earnings ratio. What are you seeing there? Yeah, exactly. And by the way, uh, the some of the other indices, the small stock indices, the Russell 2000, the mid-cap indices, are at all-time highs. So um, uh, it's not just a few stocks that is really uh, driving this market. I think what's really important uh, in a couple of things um, – uh, you know, we hit the all-time high in October 2007, and 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 it was almost the same as where we were in January of 2000, 12 years ago. The huge difference is 12 years ago we were selling at 30 times earnings. Uh, now uh, we're selling at 15 times earnings, and actually looking forward, uh, 14 times earnings, and that's all the world of difference. Earnings are at all-time highs. Dividends, which were cut dramatically um, during the financial crisis by the financial firms and others. Um, now, financial firms haven't come back to their levels they were before, but other firms have raised their dividends so much that uh, in last quarter and this quarter, we're at the all-time high in dividends. So the, the fundamentals supporting this market this high are so much stronger than what we had in 2007 or in 2000. And let's look at the bond market. And, of course, it's, it's been very generous to people in, the, in recent decades. Uh, but now uh, interest rates are so low, it's inconceivable to go much lower. And the, the risk of uh, rate increases and price declines seems high. Yeah. Or is that too pessimistic? Well, you, you know, I will admit I've been calling – I, th I've, I thought the bond market would turn around last year and the year before. <laughs> uh, but, you know, when we look back at July, um, when we got down to, I thought it was 1.39, 1, 1 I think, on the 10-year note. Uh, I was telling, I was, I was giving a lecture yesterday, and I said that uh, we, years from now, we will look back and say July of 2012 was the low on those interest rates. And we, we will also say, how did it ever get so low? And what that means is there's definitely risk in the market for long-term bondholders. It's going to affect the treasuries the most, but high-grade corporate bonds, any long-term instrument, uh, mortgage bonds, uh, will be affected. So, I, you know, the, uh, the future there, to me, uh, looks not good. It is a, what should we call it, a, uh, a risk asset that people like to hold when everything else is in tumult. Uh, it's an insurance policy, but I describe it as one of the most expensive insurance policies you can now buy, and I don't think it's worth the price. It'll be a huge drag on your portfolio if you hold long-term bonds. You wonder whether uh, you're just as just as well off putting your money in a bank account with FDIC insurance. Better in a bank account um, because you won't get the capital loss, but we know banks are yielding a half a percent um, or less. Uh, so cash is not attractive. What, what I think is going to be happening is that people, seeing that the world is not ending, <laughs> which of course there were so much fears of that the last three years, are going to uh, get their feet wet in the stock market again into dividend paying stocks um, that are offering two, three, four percent and more in some cases uh, because they need income. We need income. Uh, portfolios need income, and it's you can't get it from the bond market with the risk there. And certainly, uh, cash is uh, almost zero now. And you think that at these valuations in the stock market, uh, the risk of buying dividend paying stocks for income. Uh, 
are acceptable. A- absolutely uh, acceptable. Uh, uh, the good thing about the dividend-paying stocks is, first of all, you have stocks which are real assets. If we have some inflation, I know I think we're going to have two, three, maybe four percent. That's a sweet spot for stock stocks. Corporations do well with that. It gives them pricing power. Their assets move up with prices. I'm not fearful of that inflation. What I don't like is inflation five, six, seven, and I don't think we're going to get that. So this sort of mild inflation is really the ideal environment for people to go into those dividend-paying stocks because those dividend payments over time, and we have a lot of evidence, have risen one to two percent above the inflation rate on average over the last 60 years. And it's not too hard to find dividend payers 3%, 4%, some of them, some of the utilities and Absolutely. phone companies. Now, uh, I will admit, you know, if, if you find one that's 10%, be cautious. It's, it's probably will not be able to maintain its dividends. But one thing is very interesting. The percentage of S&P firms paying dividends is rising now. For years, it was falling. Uh, it was a sign you didn't have anything better to do with your money. The growth companies would all do. Now, when the demand for those are there, we see a rising trend. So we have about 350, 400 dividend-paying stocks in the S&P 500. We have about 200 that are paying 2.5%, 3% and more. You can get a very good diversified portfolio. And if you want to go abroad, they're even much more dividend-paying than they are in the United States. They pay out a much higher fraction of their earnings as dividends. So go international. Now, you've been an advocate of going international for a long time and uh, in stocks holding a fairly large percentage of your portfolio in, uh, in stocks from around the world. Is that still the case or is it on the risky end of the, of the spectrum or the safer end of the spectrum right I, now? I think, I think really worldwide stocks are, are, are a buy. Um, and I, may, I was cautious about Europe. Europe is selling at 10 and 11 price earnings ratio, so a lot of risk is there. If you stick with the exporters, you know, those companies that have a global reach and the euro goes down, they're going to be helped because they're going to become much more competitive. So there are definitely values in Europe. And I think there are still, I, as you know, I've been a big fan of the emerging markets. Uh, right now, the P.E. ratios of most emerging markets are 10 to 15. Um, you have a few in the high teens, but that's a very reasonable price historically to pay for the type of growth that they have, act, they have engineered over the last five and ten years. And, and honestly, I, I still think they're going to be the engine of growth over the next decade. Now, uh, investors for a long time have been told that one of the keys to success is asset allocation, the mix of stocks, bonds, and cash, and the subcategories. But with, with stocks at fairly good valuations, as you say, and bonds looking very risky and yielding almost nothing, and cash yielding almost nothing, should people be adjusting from those sort of standard guidelines of asset allocation? Yeah, most definitely. You know, people say, Jeremy, do you hold any bonds? And I said, the only bonds I've held over the years and years and years is junk bonds. And even they become a little expensive, but, you know, I just roll over and reinvest my interest there. That's a part of my bond. That's the only bond part of my portfolio. I always have some cash, you know, just for liquidity purposes there. But really, as for an investment purpose outside of, a, you know, a little chunk that rolls over in junk bonds, I, I no extra bonds. Uh, I'm very enthusiastic about stocks. I'm not enthusiastic about gold because I think gold is priced for, you know, either a hyperinflation or the end of the world, of which neither of those two eventualities, in my opinion, is going to happen. I think commodities are expensive. Um, oil is expensive. 
So uh, really, stocks, properties. Uh, now, you know, there is some good values in real estates. REITs are very high, but they still should be part of your portfolio. Uh, uh, in some investment properties, if people want to go into the illiquid size, it's fine. And of course, if anyone now is waiting to buy that home and lock in that mortgage rate, now is the time. And definitely that would be an advisable uh, purchase to make. But as far as the liquid part of your portfolio, the, the vast majority should be in stocks now. The, the housing market has been a big, big drag on the economy for years now. But we're just seeing a, a, just a endless cadence now of good news. Good news. And the, the latest case Schiller news yes. yesterday was quite positive. I think it was a 7% gain of some uh, – Almost 7% year like over a year, year over which year. is the most since the crisis – uh, began. Uh, we had uh, some metropolitan areas like Phoenix, you know, rise year over year 20, 25 percent. Now, that's a lot of bottom feeders, uh, investors that went in picking up foreclosed and auctioned uh, properties at very low price. But there is no question the bottom, uh, you know, has been reached. The trend is up. And I think the trend on whole prices will continue uh, quite strong over the next year. And And I think that's going to be one of the biggest pluses in the economy. We get through the sequester. There may be some negotiations there to actually, you know, lessen the impact. We get through the European crisis again. The second half of this year could be much stronger than most people expect. The money that people are reluctant to put into bond investments, would it make sense to put that into your home or a new home, a bigger home, or paying down your mortgage or any of those well, strategies? Well, you, you know, right now you should probably – um, uh, you know, think of refinancing if you haven't yet from a higher rate. If you, uh, you know, always wanted a second home and have the wherewithal, I mean, here is the time to get it and finance it. I, I, I you know, in terms of buying properties, the bottom, you're, you're off the bottom. If you know a lot about properties um, and you want to, you know, put some dollars there, I certainly wouldn't object. But I still think those opportunities are going to be in the stock market. Uh, you know, stocks are earning uh, six, seven, eight percent off their off their capital base, and and that's a great earnings rate in a in a zero interest rate world. In fact, I find that the average price earnings ratio of stocks, uh, when you're in a low to moderate interest rate environment, and we're still in an extremely low in interest rate environment, is 19. So, you know, being a P.E. ratio of 14 or 15, depending on how you measure, is still well below the average valuation in a low to moderate interest rate environment. So I still think the opportunities are there in the stock market. So let's just wrap up with a, with a question. What do you think the stock market's likely to do for the rest of this year and then over five and ten years? Yes. Well, I, st I uh, stuck my neck out early last year. Um, uh, and, and was on record saying that I thought by the end of 2013, the Dow would reach and, and exceed 15,000 uh, and a chance of 17,000. And it's uh, a little below 14 right yeah, now. Yeah, just skirting around 14 right now. I still feel very confident about the 15,000. 17 might be a stretch, but not out of the question. I mean, if some of these clouds begin to part and people finally say, hey, now there's still value in the market, um, you know, I can see it between 16 and 17,000 by the end of the year. And I mean, that, that would be a great year. But I, I think I think we will have a good year this year. And you see good times rolling on after that. In the next and five and years, I, yeah, I mean, I, they're, they're not overpriced. And I, I think we're going to get an economy 
that's going to go from subnormal growth of 1% to 2% to good growth of 3 to 4 by the end of this year and into 2014. Well, let's hope it all uh, transpires that way. So thank you very much. Thank you, Jeff. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.